Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Yeah, I mean, honestly, between us going into today, uh, Chicago was where I wanted to go. Um, obviously, being you know hometown kid, I like to go to the Red Sox, but there was something about Chicago, kind of the history of the field, the, the players that are there. It kind of was seemed like a perfect fit for me. So, you know, when my name got called for Chicago, it was like, this is great. This is perfect. You know, it just felt right. It means a lot. I mean, it's just a small step in the in the long run, but it's, it feels nice to get going in the journey. And um, I knew the White Sox were in, uh, interested. They I had they were my best meeting at the combine, so I had a good idea. Those are the voices of the number one picks for the Cubs and the White Sox, respectively. Matt Shaw and Jacob Gonzalez. Let's talk about those guys, some MLB draft, and some prospects, as prospect capital is a hot phrase as we approach the trade deadline here in Chicago. It is Matt Spiegel here hosting Hit and Run on 670 The Score and joining us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort Casino Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, is Keith Law, longtime baseball man, senior baseball writer for The Athletic, has covered the sport since 2006, and we have read him for a long, long time. Keith, thank you so much for the time. How are you this morning? I'm good, thanks. How about you? Well, I'm wonderful. So what do the Cubs and Sox have here? I guess let's start with the Sox. It's, um, it, it, Jacob Gonzalez, it's not great when like the initial description that I read says he's not super athletic or rangy as a shortstop, <laughs> but he must have other strengths. Do tell. I think he's more of a high-probability guy where – this guy is going to play in the big leagues, extremely likely to play in the big leagues, but without upside to maybe be a star. I think that's probably where the consensus is. I did see Gonzalez play two games uh, earlier in the spring, same weekend I saw Matt Shaw also. And uh, I kind of agree with the scouting consensus here. I think Gonzalez probably stays at shortstop for the long term and is a solid average, slightly better defender. He's got pretty good feel to hit. He's got a little bit of power. It's not huge power. I think he's the kind of player who plays every day for you. Maybe doesn't make an all-star team. Maybe makes one in his career. But you're getting somebody who probably gets to the big leagues fairly quickly and has a low probability of failure. When I say a player is a high-probability guy, it means I really believe he gets to the big leagues and does, and at least at a minimum, is good enough to stick in the big leagues for a while. And there is value in that, for sure. And maybe he wasn't necessarily a player I would have taken there, but I also understand – 
for an organization like the White Sox, where they just need players at this point going for a guy who's got a very high probability to make it. Yeah, and I think they'll stock up here in the next couple of weeks, and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But um, you said you saw Matt Shaw as well. That's one of the best bats in this draft, isn't it? Yes, I'm a big Matt Shaw guy. I actually had him seventh on my big board, ranking all the players in the draft, and uh, he ends up going 13th overall. He can really hit. Now, that's a guy with some upside because he has shown, too, that he can put the ball in the air on a line with hard, high-contact quality and that he squares the ball up extremely consistently. I think he's a guy who's got a chance to hit for average with 20-plus homer power and pretty good on-base percentage. The knock on him all spring was that he's not a shortstop. And I actually think he's rangy enough to play shortstop and his hands are fine. He just doesn't really throw well enough to play on the left side of the infield. So just stick him at second base and stop talking about it. To me, this was the dumbest, one of the dumbest conversations of the whole spring is if this guy just plays second base all spring, he probably goes higher in the draft because nobody is manufacturing this controversy over, oh, we don't know where he's going to play. We all know where he's going to play. He's going to play second base. We do this all the time. I don't know why we're acting like this is something new. And when the guy hits like Matt Shaw hits, you should buy into it. So instead of going deeper into each team's draft or to other picks, I thought for my listeners we'd kind of talk about the systems a little bit, if, 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 that, mm-hmm. if that's sure. all right. Um, who's your favorite pitcher among the Cubs three of Jordan Wicks, Cade Horton, and Ben Brown? Who's your favorite of those three? I am actually a big Ben Brown guy, and I say this, and I laugh a little bit because he went to my high school's rival high school on Long Island, so I should hate him, right? I should just absolutely deny that he has any sort of prospect. Um, they did a great job in that draft. He was a 33rd-round draft pick six years ago. They don't even draft – there aren't even that many rounds anymore. And they picked him up um, for uh, David Robertson in a deadline deal a year ago. And I see – I mean, I think he's got a chance to be a mid-rotation starter. I see – I saw him actually about two weeks before they traded for him last year. I saw four pitches. I saw a fastball that seemed to miss a lot of bats. Like hitters really just could not pick it up. Uh, and he could throw it by guys in the upper part of the zone. I like all three guys. Horton is the biggest wild card because he's got very little history of pitching at this high of a level. And he's really doing a lot of it with that one breaking ball, which is an out pitch for sure. But we've got to see more of the overall package there. So I would say Wicks is kind of the safe in-between guy. Brown is the one I really feel great about. Horton could be great. I just feel like we don't really have enough data on him yet to say. See, Horton is a guy, I, I put him in a, in a prospective Nolan Arenado trade, just as I was having some fun, you know, th- sure. th- this week. And people freaked out. But if you had to pick one of those three to to make a buy, if the Cubs do indeed end up in that spot, who would would you who would you feel the most comfortable of those three dealing? Horton, yeah, because Horton is uh, because he's got the widest variance of the three, mm-hmm. and like this guy's. I, I sound like I'm down on Horton, and that's not really true because the breaking ball that he added basically in the month the last month of his college season before the draft last year is a legitimate out pitch. He really doesn't have a good enough changeup at this point. He does not have a long track record of pitching at this high of a level. You could trade him and he could come back to burn you. I completely acknowledge that, but I think he's got the widest range of potential outcomes on the good and the bad side. I don't feel the same way about Brown and especially not Wicks who Wicks is the guy with probably the least upside, but the least downside of all three. I kind of want to hang on to a guy like that. I would trade him but also there's just value in a 
quality fourth, fifth starter. Those mm-hmm. guys are hard to find. They're expensive in free agency, too. And and the desperation in the White Sox system, or like, where is it? What do they need? <laughs> what do they need to stock themselves with as they prepare to um, sell four or five or six players? I don't know. We'll see. Sell them all. Um, what do huh. you mean if I said they, they just need players? No, nope. they just kind of need everything at this point. Um, the system is thin. It's unfortunate. Um, you know, I would probably lean towards if I were in Rick Hahn's shoes or advising him, I would lean towards position players at this point uh, because there's higher probability there. We've seen a lot of teams say we need pitching. We have to go get pitching or, or we have to get catching. You focus on one thing to the detriment of the system as a whole. We all know pitching is risky. So to me, it is much more about stock with bats. You start with bats. It's almost the Orioles approach where the Orioles are so good right now and their system is so good. For years, they wouldn't draft a pitcher. This year, I think they drafted a pitcher in the third round. Everybody fell out of their chairs. So I'm fine with that approach. Just stock up on bats. They're easier to – they don't get hurt. They're a little bit easier to evaluate – um, b- both from a scouting side and I think from a data side as well, just load it. You don't have a lot of bats in the system either, so go load up on those guys. And as they start to progress, as they reach the majors, then you can expand and try to get pitching through any of several different ways. Because after Colson Montgomery, it it falls off kind of quick. So um, and he's been hurt. Yeah. And so, so I've been thinking. We're talking with Keith Law from the Athletic, who does great work. Um, and I've been thinking. Look, look, Giolito's going to go. Lance Lynn is going to go. Kendall Graveman, um, Aaron Bummer, um, maybe Joe Kelly if he's healthy. He's throwing a bullpen today. Um, I, I, I would be open to trading Eloy Jimenez. We'll see if they are or not. Yasmani Grandal. Like you've got a lot of pieces in there. Maybe Tim Anderson. Should they package them together? Like. The one-stop shopping, I dream of Encarnacion Strand or Edwin Arroyo from the Reds, and maybe the Sox have to give up Giolito and Lance Lynn or Giolito and Aaron Bummer to get it. Are the Reds going... Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile? Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours. Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. 
Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Deal either of those guys. The Reds really love Encarnacion Strand more than I do, actually. I think there's some definitely some breaking ball recognition questions there that we're going to see when he comes to the big leagues. He's having a great year at AAA. I don't deny that. Um, but I think that when he gets to the majors, there's going to be some adjustment. Uh, they love him. They also don't really have room for either of those guys right now. They're kind of in that situation I was just describing where if you stock up on position players so much, and they have, they've drafted exceptionally well, you end up in a spot where you just kind of have to deal some of those guys. The Orioles are in the same position, and they could be buyers for the same pitchers you mentioned. Joey Ortiz, to me, is a major league regular at shortstop, and he can't crack the lineup in Baltimore. So if I'm the White Sox, to answer your question, do you have to package those guys? I don't think so. I think you go in with what you just said. Everyone is available. There is nobody on our major league roster we won't talk about because that gets you the most offers. It gets you the most options. Let someone come to you. You say to clubs, We'll package, we'll package guys together. We'll deal them individually. Make us your best offer. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, there aren't a lot of sellers right now. There are maybe six to eight teams that are clearly sellers, and not every one of those teams has guys worth selling. Who on the Royals is as good as Lucas Giolito in this trade market? Nobody. So the White Sox are, could be in a very good position to clean up this month if they take the most open approach possible. Which team has the most ammo uh, in terms of prospect capital – um, to go out and, and be aggressive and get what they need right now? I'd give you two. I said the Orioles because they have a ton of position player depth at the upper levels and not enough spots to play all these guys. And I don't even mean just this year going forward. You know, Jackson Holiday is the shortstop. He's in double A already. Technically, there's not a spot for him in the majors. Of course, they're going to clear a spot for him. But the, the Orioles have a lot of position player depth to trade from. And the other is the Dodgers. And I know we say this kind of all the time, but the Dodgers were my number one farm system coming into the year. They have more depth on the pitching side. That would be the only thing I'd say is a slight negative there, but you could still put together a really compelling offer from players there as well. And maybe you go after someone like James Outman, who's not technically in the farm system or a prospect anymore, but they have depth and they could trade somebody like him because they have outfielders coming up behind him and they have all the money in the world to go get someone else. So I think those two clubs are probably in the best position to uh, offer a large prospect package, maybe for one of these bundles you're talking about. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see if the Orioles do it because they haven't done that yet since Elias took over. So, God, it, it could go down so many rabbit holes with you, Keith Law. We had a, During the course of the last hour, I basically summarized the last decade for the White Sox and the last decade for the Cubs at some callers' mm-hmm. requests and, like, why it didn't work because Theo didn't build enough development and they had to move, you know, Jason McLeod out and go hire a new director of hitting and pitching. Like, we, I, I could do all that stuff. But let's, I want to I ask you about this book you wrote because I don't know about it. The inside game, bad calls, strange moves, and what baseball behavior teaches us about ourselves. And that's the phrase that intrigues me. It's going to make me go get it because I sit here every day and watch baseball players and I look at their human behavior and that's what I keep trying to connect to their baseball performance because uh, of the nature of the game and the failure of it and the marathon nature of it. So... Uh, I, I don't know, just kind of riff for me a little. What does baseball behavior teach us about ourselves? Well, so I used a lot of baseball. I used baseball examples to explore um, 
behavioral economics and cognitive psychology, the idea of, you know, we are not, humans are not really that rational. We like to pretend we are, and we fall prey to all kinds of biases in our thinking. And this applies to players, managers, GMs, all across baseball. One example, since we were talking draft, I make the argument that really nobody should ever take a high school pitcher in the first round of the draft. Those guys fail at a higher rate than high school hitters, college hitters, college pitchers, and yet teams keep doing it. And it's because of something called base rate neglect, where we focus very much on the specific example, or maybe we say, well, Clayton Kershaw was a high school pitcher in the draft. What if this is the next Clayton Kershaw? There aren't that many Clayton Kershaws out there. There are a whole lot of guys like uh, Chris Gruler, who nobody remembers. He was the third overall pick in the draft. He got hurt eight ways to Sunday, and I don't think he ever got out of double A. But people keep falling for the same trap, the same bias over and over. And I go through about a dozen of these over the course of the book while telling what I hope are fun baseball anecdotes, whether it's from scouting or from free agency or from the manager's side, just all kinds of specific baseball stories because I find this subject, as somebody who studied economics a lifetime ago in college, I always find this stuff really interesting. It's not very accessible to people, and I wanted to write a book that anybody could pick up and read with no economics background at all and maybe learn something, but at least be entertained. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, the inside game, bad calls, strange moves, and what baseball behavior teaches us about ourselves. Um, Off the top of my head, when asked last hour, I said that the Tampa Bay Rays are the most efficient and best-run organization in all of professional sports. Um, and I, 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 I wonder if you agree. I feel like, you know, obviously them, them being forced to think about payroll realities has led to a never ending churn of cheap capital that keeps them lean and mean. And it's, it's astounding. Um, what is, what is one or two keys to what they've done in your mind? You know, the biggest thing I'll say, I agree with you, at least within baseball, um, they are the best run, most efficient organization. One thing they've done really well, they uh, they value their their employees very highly. And I don't mean just in pay. In fact, I don't think they're one of the higher paying organizations. But when COVID hit and a lot of teams were cutting scouting or a lot of teams were cutting scouting because they're like, we can do this with data now. The Rays didn't do any of that. And when I talk, I know a lot of people who work for or have worked for the Rays. And it is they're even their individual scouts will tell you they feel like their input matters. They feel like they are well integrated with all of the other departments, with R&D, with player development, with the front office. That group operates as cohesively as any I've seen. And people don't leave the Rays very often, even if it's a little more money somewhere else, because they really they know their work matters and it mm. makes them work harder. It makes them care a lot more. It is really a great lesson for everyone says, well, Tampa Bay, they're just a, you know, they're a data organization. They're a money ball organization. They really care about their people and make sure that they know that the work they do is valued and it shows up at the big league level. That to me is a lesson for everyone. Any team could do that. Any, literally any team could do anything that the Rays do because the Rays have less money than everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rays do it and most don't. It's just values. It's just values as, as, as an organization. And, and of course that makes everybody want to work harder and want to stick together and, 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 and keep the train moving. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I, and I mean, it, it it's fascinating because like, 
There, James Crick left and helped Houston win. Matt Arnold is with the Brewers. Chaim Bloom may be failing uh, with the Red Sox. Maybe not, though. Um, and we'll see what they do here at this deadline. And that doesn't define everything, of course. And then Andrew Friedman has taken that mindset to the Dodgers and mixed it with unlimited money. Is that the simplest yeah. example? Oh, that's absolutely true. It's, I was going to go there and I was talking too much. But they, yeah. the culture of the Dodgers organization it's the culture he built with Tampa Bay, except now he has money. The Dodgers are another organization with a very large scouting staff, actually across the board, amateur and pro and, and international. They have a large scouting staff. They might have the largest. They're close to it. They have a huge R&D department also. And it's the same thing where people cross over different departments. If you're a pro scout, but you might get to dabble in international or, or spend some time with a minor league affiliate. And they will all tell you, they feel involved. They feel valued. They feel ownership of certain players where they were able to be part of a decision like that. It is the easiest thing to replicate. Like it drives me nuts as somebody who had a, you know, a non-baseball career before where I studied some of this stuff. Corporate culture doesn't have to be that hard, especially when you look. And there's a couple of teams that do this really well right in front of you. And then you look at other organizations that consistently fail at things like this or, or owners who say, well, we don't need scouts, right? That's an, that's an irrelevant expense. I mean, your whole scouting staff costs less than usually one player acquired in free agency. It's not that hard, and it's certainly not expensive to build a good corporate culture. And two of the most successful teams in the sport, the Dodgers and the Rays, they, they do a totally different way, totally different payroll levels. But they do it with corporate culture where everyone, again, feels like they are very much part of the process. I've spent a lot of time the last three years and really the last Mm -hmm. 20 years uh, talking about the White Sox culture um, because it it feels it feels corrupted. Um, It's loyalty to a fault. It's sometimes backfighting and infighting. It's unclear power dynamics. um, And this has manifested in a chaotic farm system. It feels it feels connected to the conversation you're having. I think that's true. Talking to people who've left the White Sox, certainly a lot of um, real inconsistency in decision making, feeling like there's a lack of a coherent process. Um, I'm thinking particularly in the draft side. I know they've changed a lot of the personnel recently. We'll see if that also changes the culture in any of these individual departments. But building cohesion across departments takes a long time and you really have to have one clear voice at the top who's managing all of this. And I don't think that's true. I think there are a lot of people on top of this organization who have their hands in certain things and that can really muddle the message to all of your employees across departments and make them feel like they're less valued or just less involved in anything beyond say the specific area they're asked to cover as an amateur scout. Holistic organizational thoughts on MLB from Keith Law. Thank you so much for the time, Keith. Enjoy your Sunday. My pleasure. All right. You got it. It's Keith Law right there on 670 The Score. Remember when the Rays played the White Sox and these two cultures were right there against each other? And the the two manifestations of that culture were right there on the field against each other? God, I ranted so hard that day because of that disparity that he just described, which is just so incredibly obvious. And I'm not saying that you can fix it tomorrow. You can't. You just said it takes a long time to fix it's just, um, it's a big bus. It's going to make a slow turn. And who knows when they'll start turning it. Fun. In about uh, 15, 20 minutes, my guy Boston Ricky will compare Wrigley and Fenway. But when we come back, the premier play-by-play voice of his generation, 
tells us what he took from Vin Scully. That's next on Hit and Run on the score. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Mookie hammered. He's derby ready, folks. Twenty-five before the break. Mookie Betts with his twenty-fifth home run before the All-Star break. This is hit and run on six seventy. The score. I'm Matt Spiegler with you. Extended version today leading up to Cubs pregame at 1245. A little bit later on in the show, if you missed it, we'll hear um, my friend, my colleague, Gabe Ramirez being part of something I've never been a part of. I'm, 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 oh, I'm envious. I'm salty. Hi. I'm, I, uh, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. That's what I am. So we'll get to that a little bit later on, um, and we'll do that before we toss to. Is it Gabe doing pregame again today? I think it might be Zach again, uh, or Zach is back. I'll double check on. No, because because Ron Coomer is uh, is on vacation, so I believe it's Zach and Pat on the call, um, and uh, Gabe is doing the pregame. But anyway, we'll get that information for you. You heard Joe Davis on the call there. And for those who don't know, I do a podcast about play by play about Major League Baseball play by play. It's called the PBP, PBP, Voices of Baseball, the PBP Voices of Baseball. You can find it on the Odyssey app. You can find it on the Apple Podcast app or anything. And the latest episode is with Joe Davis, who is at 35, the number one baseball voice for Fox TV doing the All-Star Game in the World Series. And he is also the number one baseball voice for the Los Angeles Dodgers. That means he has replaced both Joe Buck and Vin Scully. And in talking to him, he helped me change the word replaced. He said, Matt, I followed those guys. I didn't replace those guys. You can never replace those guys. And Joe Davis proved to be um, an incredibly thoughtful self-evaluator, guy who used to transcribe his calls when he was in the minor leagues and then edit them, find words that he could pull out. Um, and look for other words that he could use, like a remarkable level of self-evaluation and self-awareness that I really appreciated during the whole conversation. But what I really uh, wanted to let you hear was him talking about Vin Scully. And what the hell do you do when you're the guy who follows Vin Scully? Not replaces him, but you follow him. How do you be yourself and still pay homage to a guy that will be on the minds of all of your viewers and listeners for a long, long time. Just the human condition is to want to hear stories. And so recognizing that it's part of what made him great and it's what people appreciate and expect, then appreciating that there's something to it and realizing even when I do it poorly, I, I think that it's it adds so much. And just combining those things and, and realizing that it needed to be part of uh, Dodger broadcasts, I've made it as much of it uh, a part of it as I can, and I've had to work really hard at it. Because like nobody's as good of a storyteller as Vin, nobody ever will be. I stunk at it, and still I don't think I'm great at it. But I've studied it. I've read books about storytelling, and in the same way that I was critiquing 
you know, right down to the word, how I was calling a devil in the gap. I do the same with storytelling now. So the, the storytelling component would probably be the biggest thing. And people say like, oh, you laid out there and really let the crowd talk like Vin. Well, Vin's not the only guy that does that, right? Like most broadcasters have an appreciation for laying out. So that's not one that I think consciously like, okay, you know, Vin would lay out here. I've got to lay out. It's more Vin humanize these guys. And I'm not doing it just because Vin did it. I'm doing it because I heard Vin do it and it's awesome. And I think that it should be part of it. Well, Vin probably heard Red Barber do it, you know, sure. it's, uh, and, and, and Vin developed it on his own. Probably heard Bill Stern telling sports stories on the radio back in the thirties and forties, you know, like mm -hmm. there's, there, there's a lineage of it. There's a reason we love the stories. It's, um, what, what storytelling books is interesting, like Power of Myth, Joseph Campbell, that kind of stuff. Or like I haven't said that. I think I need to. Um, let's see. I got a few over here. The Art of Storytelling is one I've read. The Power of Storytelling. Uh, there's one that I started to get into, and then it didn't really line up. Um, are you familiar with the Moth series? Yeah, absolutely. The radio series, the Moth. Absolutely. Yeah. They have a storytelling guide, but I got into it about a chapter in and realized that it was more about like telling your own story, which is, it's a yeah. different thing, I think, than we're doing. Um, but yeah, those are the two that I see right on my shelf right now that pop to mind and, you know, all kinds of notes that I took from those and every now and then we'll refer back to. You know, I, there was a moment um, in my day job with Parkins and Spiegel last year, I think it was. I grabbed a touchdown that I happened to hear you make while I was watching Red Zone one Sunday afternoon, and I'm breaking my own rule as I talk football on a baseball podcast. But <laughs> um, it, he, it, it was it was a very little known Tampa Bay wide receiver who I'd never heard of, who I think had been an Olympic sprinter, um, and all of a sudden he caught a touchdown sort of out of nowhere. He was open and ran 30 yards into the end zone. And you gave the backstory as part of the call live. And I was like, holy hell, listen to that preparation that came out in the call that I caught on red zone. Pressure coming here. Brady trying to beat him with blown coverage. It's a touchdown. First career score for Cyril Grayson. football gets his chance and takes advantage well they go stack you go trips to one side and they just two guys jump Evans two guys immediately jump Evans and it just opens it up then for Cyril Grayson I mean <laughs> how good is that second career catch for Grayson who had played in six games in his career who didn't play college football, just ran track there, was a national champion. Wild Scouts at LSU's Pro Day, so he got a chance on a couple of practice squads. Two games in 19, three games last year, his second game of 2021 and his first career score. But now that I hear you talk about it, it's your love of the storytelling that yeah. made you feel comfortable enough to get it in there in the call and i'm so glad you did i didn't i don't even know if you remember who i'm talking about yeah i'm glad that you point out the love of storytelling thing so i like as 
you know, all of us, I think as we get a little bit older, we, we deep dive and reflect a little bit. And the last few years I've tried to figure out like, what is it that I'm doing? What am I trying to do with these broadcasts? You know, like what, what's my purpose? And one of the things I think about is like at a very basic level, it's my job to bring joy to people right in this, in this chair. And the way I try to do that is by sharing my love for baseball and stories. And I think about that every day. Like I love baseball or football. I'm not, we're not allowed to say that. I want to break the podcast rules. <laughs> I love sports. So just sharing my love for sports and stories. And yeah. uh, when you look at it that way, that really helps drive a lot of what I do. You know, the, the prep during the day, the it's, it's kind of the quiet foundation of, my call from seven to 10 each night is looking at it that way. Like really what is, and it's kind of a cheesy way to, to look at it, I think, but it, it, it works and it powers you through the, you know, nine to one blowout on a Tuesday in August when the team's already 20 games up in first place, who cares if the game at that point doesn't matter. What matters is it's my job to bring joy to people. And I have a couple ways of doing that. That's Joe Davis, who I just love talking to on the podcast. Once again, it's called The PBP, Voices of Baseball. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And if you want to hear him do that in a baseball sense, it's a much more well-known player, a much more well-known moment. But when Bryce Harper is up to bat for the Phillies with a chance to help them get to the World Series last year, I, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's thinking, man, that's Bryce Harper. I remember him on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 17 years old. You know, so it's the whole specter of the dude's life and career, and he happens to get up with a chance in that moment in the NLCS. And here's how Joe Davis made the call. On the seventh pitch, Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes. Harper, the swing of his life. Bryce Harper has the Phillies on the verge of the World Series. The swing of his life, right? It's just, it's perfect. It's pretty darn good. It's man. pretty darn good, man. And it's just flowing. So, like, there's a reason that guy is in the places he is in. He's done the work and he keeps doing the work. Don't you love it? I, I, I love when I find out, like, you know, prodigies are not just prodigies because they're talented and whatever. Like, he actually gives a crap and digs the form. Right, exactly. Like a guy that like looked up to Len Casper, was getting notes from him as he's getting older or going through the minors or yes, whatnot. Like yes. a guy that's just trying to learn. You were like when you were talking to him, all those books and notes he's taking, yes. like just fairly diligent. It shows in his work. Yes, man. it does. It shows in the work. It shows in the end product. For anybody who doesn't know, I'm getting a, I'm getting a shot at age 52 to do three full games of play by play. Yeah, next you weekend. are. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I do three full games on the Cubs radio network, Cubs versus Cardinals at Wrigley Field. Me and Elise Meneker next Friday and Saturday and Sunday, all 120 games. I am thrilled and nervous and can't wait. Against the Cardinals too, man. I know. And they're games of consequence for the Cubs in terms of the deadline. I mean, I hope they are. We'll see. Let's hope. Right? Hmm. Uh, We're here for another hour or so on Hit and Run. When we come back, a man who's been to Fenway 50 times, 60 times, 80 times was at Wrigley for the very first time yesterday. What did he think? Let's talk about some venerable ballparks on hit and run on 670 the score. We're back. Way back, 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 way back, way 
More hit and run Sunday mornings from 9 a.m. to noon on 670 The Score. Left field and the Red Sox are winners. Manny Ramirez with an absolute rocket into the Boston night and the Red Sox lead the series two games to none. Producer Sean Sears has chosen that Manny Ramirez walk-off in game two of the ALCS. What year? 2007 against the Angels. That's there. after, after uh, I think it's Frankie Rodriguez he hits that off. Of. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, a former Red Sox prospect, in yeah. fact, Frankie Rodriguez. And Sean um, gets to choose that. And it's Red Sox-Cubs this weekend. It's a very hot ticket. Two venerable fan bases Two hallowed organizations forever uh, connected by Theo Epstein, who helped break curses in both towns and two incredible ballparks. And I, Matt Spiegel, your host here on Hit and Run, uh, lucky enough to have a couple friends come in to visit. And one of them um, is here with me in studio right now. Boston Ricky is what I'm calling you. Do you accept the moniker? I do indeed. Okay, good. Yeah, Boston Ricky. Thank you. (laughs) First time at Wrigley Field yesterday. It was indeed. Did I underestimate when I said you'd been at Fenway 80 times? Much, much underestimation going on there. Really? I think I've probably been there in the thousands. I I don't. I'm telling you. A thousand? I've been going there since 1985. And you said in 86, when yep. Clemens was good and the team exploded, yep. you and a buddy just started going every day because bleacher yep. tickets were... $4. <laughs> oh, the oh those beautiful days. <laughs> so I've sat with you in the Fenway bleachers yep. many a time. Many so, all right, let's, let's say it's 500. Call it 500. All right, let's just say for you, okay. we'll say 500. It Thank makes you, you feel better. All right, 500 times at Fenway, first <laughs> time at Wrigley. Yes. Um, as you stepped up the stairs, that's one of the great moments for any ballpark. When you step up the stairs in a city atmosphere, mm-hmm. which Fenway and Wrigley share, yep. and you see the ballpark, what would you feel? Well, I think you saw it in my face immediately because you were looking right at me. There's that feeling that you step back in time and you just – you just can't believe where you are. And it's that magical moment that you feel this is baseball. Baseball is American history, and I just walked into American history. Hmm. And that's the way I felt the first time I walked into Fenway in 85. I, you know, I grew up in Georgia and Florida. And back in the 70s, there was no ball teams at all. You know, maybe I saw the baby Orioles play uh, spring training. That was about it. Hmm. But... Walking into Fenway in 85 for the first time, I just felt I've, spe- I've stepped back in time, and that's the way I felt yesterday. It was really just such an amazing moment. That, that's really cool, especially considering all the renovations that have taken place and all the updating, because the goal and the dream of the renovations is to maintain that timeless history. Um, and the Wrigley... They got to do it after Fenway had done it in terms of the renovations. And I know for a fact that they copied some of sort of the, the holistic thoughts, if not some of the specifics about how Fenway did it. So it, it, has Fenway done that in the same way? When you step into Fenway, do you still feel a timelessness or do you notice the renovations? Well, I think that over time, the renovations have, have changed the park somewhat at Fenway. You, you do still feel like it is an old ballpark. You do still get that feeling. But 
I think Wrigley in the ballpark, not around the ballpark, as you know, I still think they're very similar around the ballpark, mm-hmm. but in the ballpark, I think Wrigley still has that feel like this hasn't been touched since 1912. Wow. Like that's the way I felt. I think Fenway's just done a lot of work. Yeah, Fenway has done a lot. No, that that's interesting because I've talked about this a few times. Obviously, I haven't been to Fenway as much as you. Sorry, Boston Ricky. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I can't compete. Um, but I, having been in both ballparks a lot before the renovations, I think I agree with you that Wrigley has done it better. Yes. In terms of maintaining the timelessness of it, I mean, there's two giant video boards. Those were not there. In the 30s and the 40s. No. I just wanted to share that. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's not part of my thousand no, so, times. So, so, but, but, you, but you don't know. Like, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, so I think I agree with you in that. And it's, part of it is the, the signage on the walls. Even though there used to be signage at Fenway back in the day, yeah. and then there wasn't, and now there is again, yeah. you still feel connected to when there wasn't. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, wh- about Wrigley, the, the center field, that still has that Americana look. You know, the center field, I don't even know, what, what would you call that? The hand-worked the hand worked score, yeah, uh, that, scoreboard, where there's somebody is inside there during the course of the game, just as they are at Fenway, yes. inside the monster. Yeah, I thought that was very impressive. Fen, uh, Wrigley looks much older than Fenway, oh. on the, in a good way. In a good on way. The it kept its Americana look. That's the best way I can put it, because I do believe baseball is American history, and Wrigley and Fenway have kept that essence of Americana within baseball. Um, So how about the vibe at Wrigley yesterday? Well, I've been to a lot of ballparks, and I think that the people at Wrigley, the fans were so nice. They were so accepting of the fans from Boston. Yeah. Even even my wife was accepting of you and your Red Sox hat, <laughs> yeah. cheering against I, her her I, team. Well, I didn't have much to cheer about yesterday, so she was pretty happy. Oh my god! It was good to see a smile on C's face. Oh god, it was the best. Sean, it's like <laughs> it's Ricky's best. birthday trip, right? He's traveled all the way here. He's earmarked this for months, yep. and his team is down six nothing in like five minutes. Yeah, just have to go to the game where Cody Bellinger smacks a grand slam. Right, huh? just don't, <laughs> please don't play that. It was dark, man. He was he was sitting there dark. And we're like, well, this took a turn. Because yeah. <laughs> hey. he lives and dies with it. Sean, you talked to him. You saw it. Oh, I was. I feel the same way. I was just telling my girlfriend a couple of days ago, I'm embarrassed by how much my mood and my day is oh. decided on how good my baseball team did. Oh, my day. family just can't even deal with me when I'm watching a baseball game. Really? Uh, especially if we're in a pennant race. Yeah. Forget it. Don't Please don't bother me. You know, if you're, if you're friends and you oh. want to watch a game and have a beer, okay, fine. But... I'm not playing cards at the same time. <laughs> That's not happening. I'm watching this game. So you, you know? are uh, emotionally invested. Yeah, I saw it yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I saw you. All right. Um, I'm trying to th- remember games that you and I were at uh, Fenway together. Were you there with me when uh, Tom Brunanski made a sliding catch on the left field line of an Ozzie Gian fly ball to clinch to- the division? I was there. Yeah. Oh, I, I was there. I think I think you and I were there together. I, I think so, too. I think I got... I think I got tickets from the brew house that I worked at, uh-huh. and I I called you and I said I got tickets right behind home plate. Yeah, man. Th- they clinched the American League East when Bernanski made a, a, sl- a diving slash sliding catch on the left yeah. field line, was- hit by Ozzy Guillen, who yeah. is a media icon in this town. Yep. Yep. Um, so I love that, and I know that you and me and our buddy Matt were there yep. screaming at Ellis Burks. <laughs> I've told this story before on the air. It's great. 
Because I, t- I told Ellis Burks, the, White S- uh, the Red Sox center fielder, who ended up playing for the White Sox as well. That's true. He was wearing number 12. And I was like, Ellis, you're number 12. You're Bob Greasy. <laughs> and he turned around and pointed at me and said, I'm Roger Staubach. I love that. I love that. Because a- we were just trying to make them talk to us. Right, yeah. But he's a Texas, good old Texas boy. Did you make Did you make him talk to you that day? I don't remember. Well, I don't know about that, but I have spoken with him. I I spoke with him right after we won in two thousand and four. That's another we. He was that's Oh yeah. See, that's what I mean. Oh, I caught it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's what I mean. My team is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the twenty seventh player. Speaks. Come on. That's I know. Right. That's right. That's true. Um, I spoke with Ellis. He was sitting at a restaurant when we were there for the celebration, and he was ju- he was as excited as any fan, you know, that they had won. Yeah, I, I don't. I think if he played, he retired in the beginning of that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't. He he, he, didn't. he wasn't there. No, he wasn't. All right, I got to give you your props as a Red Sox fan. You were telling me all the games you went to in '86, and yeah. you started telling me this story because you on on Roger Clemens's birthday. Go yeah, ahead. So, I worked as a room service waiter that summer in '86. And we found out, my buddy Eric and I, we found out that $4 to sit in the bleachers. So one game that we went to was Roger Clemens' birthday. And, you know, he was having a spectacular year. And he just couldn't be beaten. Well, he got beat that day, one nothing on his own error. And it was such an amazing game, though. So, and you said that to me. I'm like, Really? I know how to use the internet. Yeah. Let's let's fact check good old Boston Ricky, uh-huh. shall we? Uh-huh. So I look at the Roger Clemens game log for uh, 1986 on Baseball Almanac. I open another page. I go to Wikipedia. This is how you do it in the big leagues, folks. And then I found August 4th is his birthday. August 4th against, and you knew the team. You remember the team? I did. It was the Chicago White Sox. Boston, Red Sox lost to the White Sox, one to nothing. Clemens, a nine inning, a complete game. Yep. One run, it was unearned, and he indeed had an error. So yeah. did Wade Boggs. Uh, as my brother used to say, Wade Boggs, if I got my hip boots on. I like that. <laughs> um, but Clemens, six strikeouts, only gave up four hits, lost one nothing on an unearned run to have his record drop to 17-4. and four. Yeah, I think that was his last loss of it the was, year. Because he went 24-4. and four. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think unreal. so. He went, he went 24. That was nuts. Yeah. Clemens, that's one of the archetypal... Young, like, 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 uh, the young phenom starting pitcher seasons of my life. Oh, yeah. Doc Gooden in 85. Yep. And then Clemens in 86. 24 and four with a 248 ERA and 238 strikeouts in 254 innings. Nobody does that. That's criminal now. Nobody does that. Also, the reason why I remember that game so much as well is I caught a foul ball. By your guy, Craig Mormon. <laughs> my now, guy. Yeah, it was the White Sox guy. How did he become my guy? Okay, Chicago's guy. Yes. Craig, Craig Mormon, Mormon, first right? baseman. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I caught a foul ball, and I kept it, and I slept with that ball all night. <laughs> I called my father, and I said, I caught a foul ball. And he was so excited for me. It's one of the few times he was ever that excited for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that makes me so happy. And here's my favorite thing about getting to do this show on Sunday mornings, Ricky. Is that somewhere there's a White Sox fan listener, like running errands, or like uh, on his way to Home Depot, or he's sitting in the garage having a cigar, whatever, and he's like, Craig Mormon! (laughs) Yep. I remember Craig Mormon! (laughs) So thank you for that. Absolutely. All right, Boston Ricky, happy birthday.
Thank you very much. He's a, he's a good dude. All right, um, Cubs at 1245. Hear from Tom Glavin next on the Young Atlanta Corps and the automated balls and strike system and why he hates it. That's next on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.